Uh, Holy Spirit, ask that you would please be here and help us to understand you better and help us to be able to follow you more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, for Advent this year, we're doing a sermon series where we're looking at various Christmas songs in conjunction with Scripture and how they help us understand Jesus more. And last week, Jesse Rice got us started by looking at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This week, I want to continue with sort of an equally meaningful Christmas song that goes like this, Santa baby, I want a yacht. Really, that's not a lot. Been an angel all year, Santa baby, hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, there's one thing I really do need, the deed, to a platinum mine, so Santa baby, hurry down the chimney tonight. Come and trim my Christmas tree with some decorations bought at Tiffany's. I really do believe in you. Let's see if you believe in me. Badoo, (laughs) badoo. Santa baby, forgot to mention one last thing, a ring. I don't mean on the phone, so Santa baby, hurry down the chimney tonight. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I'm going to refer to a more serious song in a minute, but I think Santa Baby gets at something that can just wreck our lives, and that is a consumer mentality. And by consumer mentality, I don't mean uh, just materialism. That's not what I'm talking about. That's part of it, but it's much bigger than that. I want to focus on how we approach a lot of things with a a consumer mindset, relationships, faith, marriage. And what I mean when I say consumer mindset, it's a way of approaching life that says, if only... If only I had a different job, if only I were thinner, if only I had a better house or a better spouse, if only the people around me would do what I want them to do, then I'd be happy, if only. And you see that in the story that we just read about King Ahab, who wants a vineyard, but Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, won't sell it to him. And the reason was because way back in the book of Leviticus, God said that every Israelite should own at least a small piece of the promised land. And that that couldn't be sold outside the family. And if it was sold outside the family, every 50 years it had to go back to its original owners. And this is a great example of how God's laws are not meant to wreck our lives, but actually make our lives wonderful. Because had this one law been followed, there would have been no poverty in Israel and none of the social unrest that comes with it. But the real question is, why does Ahab want this vineyard to start with? I mean, by worldly standards, Ahab has everything he could possibly want. He's king. He presides over Israel at a time of prosperity. He had everything except this one little vineyard, and so he's upset. It is the rare person who, when their cup overflows, doesn't complain about the size of the cup. And here's the first thing that our consumer mindset wrecks, our joy. The text says this, Ahab went home sullen and angry. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Oh, please. Maybe he held his breath until he turned blue as well, right? And see, you see it right there. A a consumer mindset causes us endless disappointment because there's always one more thing, just something else that we need. And so we end up in this constant itinerary of desire as we inflate our wants into needs. That's what consumer mindset does to us. I remember the first time I saw an iPad. One of our elders had one, and I beheld the iPad's glory. Glory that can only come from a heavenly device. And I did not know that I wanted in that moment until I saw that he had. Life wasn't complete. I wasn't complete. I didn't want that iPad. I needed that iPad. So my wife said unto me, go, get ye the iPad, that thou mayest shut up about the iPad. So I bought the iPad. And then two months later, they came out with a new version with retinal display. 
I don't know what that is, but I need it. My retinas need to be displayed. And I was upset that I bought my iPad too soon, but I can't complain because deep down, I know there's really only one person to blame for all of this. My wife. The woman that God did give me, she told me to buy the iPad, and I bought it. See, as long as we keep inflating wants into needs, we're never going to be happy because there'll always be just one more thing. That's Ahab. So then his wife Jezebel says to him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, sell me your vineyard. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Why does he need a vineyard when he can make so much wine on his own? Oh, come on. They love that at 9 o'clock. That joke killed at 9 o'clock, all right? So then Jezebel says to him, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. I'll get you your vineyard. I love that. Man up, wimp. Right? Guess who wears the pants in that family? You want to know how Jezebel does it? She finds two false witnesses who lie and accuse Naboth of cursing God and the king, so he's put to death, and since he died a traitor, the land reverts to the king, which is the second thing consumer mentality wrecks, our relationships. Either because we resent others for what they have, or because we start viewing people as means to our ends, our happiness. It's interesting to me, listen to some single folks as they describe what they want in a spouse. You know, they, they, they've got to be this tall and have blonde hair and they need to like accordion and pogo sticks because I'm into pogo sticks. And, you know, and it sounds like they're picking a melon in the supermarket, right? It's consumer mentality. I see consumer mentality when I listen to couples, couples in crisis. A lot of times, you know what? Sometimes there's real issues in marriage. A lot of times it just comes down to, well, I'm, you know, I'm not getting what I actually want. I'm just not in love anymore. And so they divorce which is sad because the deepest love and the deepest fulfillment comes from working through tough times together and coming out the other side and finding a more solid love because you work through the hard things. I see consumer mentality even in my own parenting. You know, just, just the fact that we plan when to have kids, which is fine, but that can kind of turn into my kids are just an extension of my life plan. And I have this image of the kind of family I want to have and the kind of kid I want to have, and the kid diverges from my little life plan, I get upset. That's consumer mentality. You can see consumer mentality even invades our faith. You'll hear folks talk about going, quote, church shopping. Now, I am all for finding the right church, and there are times sometimes where you really do need to switch churches. There's good reasons. But sometimes folks just leave churches for the slightest of reasons. You know, I didn't like the music or this program or that, you know. There's even a phrase to describe it, consumer Christian, which again is kind of sad because the deepest community happens when we work together through conflict and come out the other side, or when we give up some of our preferences once in a while for the sake of someone else. That causes us to grow as people. You see, that's the joy of community, being with people you don't like, <laughs> but loving them anyway. As a pastor I know says, oh, to dwell with saints above, that is really glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, oh, that's a different story. <laughs> Consumer mentality can even invade our relationship with God as God becomes the Santa Claus in the sky who, who and I just expect him to give me the things that I think will make me happy. Kind of hurry down the chimney, God, I got some wants here. Rather than saying to God, you made me, you know what's best for me, give me that even if it's harder. And what do we get? For all this consumer, if I only had just one more, if I could, what do we get? We get stress, we get striving, and we get a lot of broken relationships. 
And here's where I want to look at the other song that I'm going to refer to today, the one we just sang. It came upon a midnight clear. One of the verses says this, Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain has rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man heeds not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. I think that kind of captures it. uses the word strife twice. Strife, striving, right? If I only had. Okay, so ye noisy men of strife and women of strife. How do we get out of consumer mentality? How do we break free from it? So that we can say with the Apostle Paul, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Doesn't that sound like freedom? How do we get there? Three things. First, this Advent, pray this prayer. Jesus, invade my, and then fill in the blank with whatever needs invading. Jesus, invade my plans. Jesus, invade my hopes. Jesus, invade my envy and change my plans, my heart, my hopes, so that they're yours. You know, one of the bravest moments in the Bible comes when God tells Mary, a teenage girl, tells Mary that she is going to miraculously conceive as a virgin and be the mother of Jesus, God in the flesh. And Mary says, yes. Basically saying, God, invade my reputation. Because to be pregnant and unwed carried the death penalty in that culture. But Mary says, if people have to stigmatize me to bring God in the flesh and the world, so be it. And God says back to her, you you will be identified, Mary, with my son. I will give you your identity with my son and his joy and his victory. Mary also was saying, basically, God invade my relationships. Because at the time, she was engaged to marry Joseph. And now she has some splaining to do. Imagine that conversation. Oh, no, really, Joseph, it was a miracle. Really honest, right? That would have been hard, right? Jesus wrecked Mary's Christmas in order to make ours. And as a result, she got to see miracles, angels singing, held God himself in her arms. Jesus says to you and to me, will you give up that thing you think is going to make you happy and that thing you think makes you matter in the eyes of the world? Give it to me and let me define you. And then whatever controls us starts to lose its power. Two weeks ago, I invited you to pray and fast for something to be revived in your life and on the east side. Over 800 of you are doing that, praying and fasting. That is not consumer Christianity. That is a way of saying, God, invade my life and change me. I got an email a while back from a woman whose fiancé one day showed up her house wearing a brand new jacket, and instantly she wanted that jacket. The next day they came to church, and I happened to be preaching on coveting, which she felt I did on purpose just to bug her. Well, she'd been house-sitting that weekend, and her fiancé later that day picked her up to take her home. She put all of her clothes in a bag and just threw it in the back of his truck. Well, he had to run an errand in West Seattle, so they went over there, and, and, and then on the way, and when they got home, drove back, and when they got home, she noticed that her bag was gone. She, she, said, she said she started to cry hysterically, saying things like, but my makeup and my favorite jeans were in that bag, right? And she said, at this point, I'm like beyond ridiculous. Those are her words. So they drove back to West Seattle to try to find this bag. And on the way over, she started to say things like, well, at least I have my health and my family and my fiancé. But she said, my motive was that if God hears I don't think my clothes are important, maybe the bag will show up. And she realized maybe that's not great theology, right? So then she said, okay, fine, God. If this is how you want it, I'm going to give away all the clothes that I've got. And she said, as soon as I said that, I began to realize this stuff really isn't all that important. And I thought, am I really that pathetic that I'm going to cry over stupid, meaningless luxury items? 
Well, they didn't find her bag, so they drove back to the east side. And on the way over, she said to her fiancé, I think God's showing me something. I, I, I covet all the time over the smallest things, like your jacket. And I always feel like I have to have more or look better or whatever, when really I have all my needs are being taken care of. And as she was saying that, right as they turned the corner, guess what? There was the bag. Right? But she said, the beauty of it is, though, that finding it was no big deal. I wasn't thrilled or anything because the Holy Spirit had given me a new heart. So she went home, put together all the clothes she doesn't really need, and gave those clothes to a women's shelter instead. And she had more fun giving them away than she had when she bought them. And she said, I never would have realized that unless Jesus had nudged me that way or threw my bag off the truck, however you want to look at it. Jesus invaded her envy, invaded her consumer mentality, and the result was a little bit of freedom from the things that control her. Jesus invade what needs invading. Second thing, to break out of consumer mentality, gratitude. Now, just as I say this, just right, let me say, I, I always kind of, I don't like it when pastors say corny things like have an attitude of gratitude, right? You have an attitude of gratitude. I'm grouchy, right? But here's the thing. It works. It really works. There's a book called 10,000 Things to Praise God For. And just reading through it kind of lifts your spirits, all these things to be grateful for. Friends, family, seedless grapes. Think of that. That's a miracle. Right? That's amazing. See those great. A parking space when you need it. Remembering where you parked. Even better, right? Where did I put that car? Forgiveness, hope, congregations who love it when preachers speak for 40 or 50 minutes. No, that one's not there. You're right, right? But it should be. See, when we notice what we have to be grateful for, it just lifts our spirits. And it gets us out of the comparison game. You know, I wish I had so-and-so's life or so-and-so's looks, or that job, whatever it is, right? The problem is with the comparison game is we don't know what their real lives are like. All we see is their outside life. We don't know the inner struggles. And so to be free, we have to stop comparing our inside life to other people's outside life. So this Advent, maybe take a day where you go on a comparison fast. Purge a vocabulary of words that end in E-R, richer, thinner, smarter. Jesus Invade what needs invading, gratitude. And finally, to be free of consumer mentality, don't sell your vineyard for a vegetable garden. And here's what I mean by that. Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard to turn it into a vegetable garden. Nothing wrong with vegetables, but a vineyard takes years to cultivate. And the older it gets, the better it is. Ahab wants to wipe out all of that long-term good for a short-term pleasure. And that's what consumer mentality does to us. See, it's not wrong to want things. Wanting things can be fine, but it starts to take over. And pretty soon we start to short-circuit our deepest longings for short-term pleasure. Say, for instance, because we want career success, we work too many long hours, and then we don't know our kids, and we don't feel close to them, and vice versa. That's sacrificing the vineyard for the vegetable garden. I see that all the time in people who leave their spouse for someone else, right? You, you cash out one family, and you just wreck all that. That's, that's selling the vineyard for a vegetable garden. As I've told you before, all the research shows that there are three things that lead to long-term happiness. First, transcendence, which means connection to God, deep relationships, and a purpose bigger than ourselves. All the research shows that. That's the vineyard. So, action step for this week. Can you spend one or two hours this week deepening your relationships with someone you love and with God? Go have coffee with a friend or round of golf or date night with your spouse. Spend some time imagining Jesus sitting next to you because he is and just talk to him. One of the rules we have in our house is that we try to spend money on memories, not on things. Spend money on memories, not on things. So family outings, special trips, you know, 
spend money on things that build relationships and memories. Now, you can go overboard with that, and you can use it to justify just about anything. You know, I could make some great memories in that brand new sports car. You know, that's not what I'm talking about, okay, so don't go there. I'm talking about things that build relationships together and make memories. It's about spending time together. That's why one of the other things we do in my family is that in December, I reduce the number of evening meetings I have so I can be home more. And I'll make hot chocolate and cookies and we'll spend time as a family just watching some kind of Christmas movie or we'll go to Snowflake Lane or every year I take one of my daughters to the Nutcracker. This year we'll go to the Christmas Carol Sing here on December 12th. We did this last year. It was awesome. Just kind of simple, old-fashioned, a whole family of God together. And my kids look forward to these kinds of things all year. In fact, we've noticed that when my kids talk about Christmas, nine times out of ten, they don't talk about the presents. They talk about the memories. Now, don't get me wrong. We are not perfect parents. We do not have a perfect family. Far from it. But on this one thing, I am so glad to have kids for whom Christmas is not about presents. It's about relationships and memories. Ninety percent of the time, anyway. One of the other verses, and it came upon a midnight clear, says this, O ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Love how realistic this is. Climbing way, crushing load. You ever feel that way? And then it says, look, pay attention. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. This Christmas, how can you take some time to invest in what matters long-term so you can rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing? A man I know in his late 20s was a lawyer in a really prestigious law firm, had a condo in, in Seattle. Everything our consumer culture says you need, money, prestige, youth, all of that. Trouble is it came at a high cost. He worked long, stressful hours, had no real relationships, didn't feel like he was living for anything bigger than himself. As a result, he ended up with a very severe eating disorder, lost a ton of weight. And then he lied about it to all of us and said that he had food allergies and that was the issue. And the reason he lied is because having an eating disorder did not fit his idea of kind of the perfect life he was trying to show everyone. And he was miserable. But he couldn't make a change for two reasons. First, even if he even hinted about quitting his job, his dad would go ballistic and start lecturing him about what a wonderful life he had and what a secure job he had and on and on. Didn't he know how happy he was? And then the other reason he couldn't make a change was, hey, he was living the dream, right? Well, finally, he came clean and told some folks about his eating disorder so that we could pray for him and and help him out. He also got some counseling. And at first, he didn't get better. It actually took a while. But about a year later, I remember getting together with him one day, and I hadn't seen him in about a month. Right away, I could tell something was different. For starters, he gained some weight. The other thing is, he was smiling. And he said, I quit my job. And then I flew home, and I told my parents why. And they're not thrilled, but I think eventually they'll be okay with it. And then I said, well, what are you going to do for money? And he said, I'm going to trust God. I believe that God nudged me to do this. He'll provide. So he spent the next couple of months looking for a job. Eventually, he found one at a college in a, small, in a small town, which he likes better than the city. And he's loving it. I talked to him recently on the phone, and he says he's closer to God. He's at the right weight. He's building real friendships. Plus, he's able to serve others, kind of mentor to the students on these, on this, at this college. And he said, you know what? It's just, got, it's just like a classic sermon illustration. And I said, I noticed that. And yes, it is. And I'm taking notes, right? And he said, the minute I let go of all the things I thought were making me happy but weren't, and just let God work, he gave me a new life. 
And he said, I feel like I've been, and I said, revived. And he said, that would be the word. Now, an eating disorder is a difficult thing to have. And quitting your job in this economy, that's pretty risky. But he basically said, Jesus invade my life. And he became more grateful for what he did have. And most of all, he stopped living for the next thing and started living for the things that make for long-term joy. God, deep relationships, and a bigger purpose. So where do you see consumer mentality in your life? Is it in your relationships, your approach to God, material things? This Advent, will you pray, Jesus, wreck my plans? And will you focus on what you do have to be grateful for? And then find ways to invest in the things that bring long-term joy. Because, you see, here's the deal. By trying to convince you that you cannot be happy unless you have X, Y, or Z, the devil is trying to steal your joy, steal your vineyard. Don't let him. Be like Naboth in this story and say, my joy is not for sale. My inheritance is not for sale. And I will not sacrifice the things that bring long-term joy for a short-term fading pleasure. Jesus, invade my life. Because when Jesus invades, folks who live for reputation stop caring what others think. People who live for power find joy in serving. Folks who, are, who just beg to be accepted have so much love they start to give it away. God has yet to bless anyone except where they already are. So this Advent, say to the devil, stop trying to steal my joy because I know that my Redeemer lives and he will bless me. Not when I arrive somewhere, not when I achieve something, not when I get this or find that, not some other time, not some other place, not if I just had, not if I only got. Jesus will bless me right here, right now. The Lord is my shepherd, and that is enough. Look, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. So Jesus, help us to do just that. Help us to follow you, hear from you, and be shaped by you. Jesus, invade our lives, invade our Christmas. And Lord, make us more like you. In your name, Lord. Amen.